Welcome to today's episode where Bill the Morbid Collector introduces us to Bill Murray's most underrated death-influenced movie. Welcome to Plot Twist. Very creepy Christmas to everybody. I'm Janelle, Christmas cookie connoisseur. And I'm Morgan, gift wrapping disaster artist. So good. So for this episode, we decided to do something a little bit, um, throw in something a little bit festive. Today, we are being festive, like Janelle said. We took inspiration from... A lovely death enthusiastic woman on TikTok, and we can link her below in the show notes. But she's, um, sorry, at Mortician in the Kitchen. Oh, yes, perfect. Thank you. Um, and we looked up some recipes for Christmas cookies, Christmas treats off of different gravestones. So we have those to try out today. We're going to give our ratings, we're going to um, tell you whether it's a 10 out of 10 or a zero mine's for sure gonna be a zero <laughs> um, and it's probably not uh their the fault of the recipe or that person it's probably us so definitely keep us. that in mind we're gonna talk about our time in the at the marietta mortuary museum and and also the movie get low which I'll, we'll talk about the link between the two but first we're gonna get to our first recipe from the grave morgan you want to go first mine's still setting (laughs) i made the menster christmas cookie recipe off of maxine's gravestone this was a tradition that she carried throughout her life and all the christmases of making these cookies and it you know the recipe was on her gravestone and i decided to make them now the recipe is on the stone Let me say this. And Maxine probably is holding some secrets that she did not divulge on the stone. Because there's not a lot of how-to. It's just this is the ingredients. So it's kind of like the great British baking show where they give you the ingredients and don't tell you how to make it. So I kind of just went with what my heart told me Mm. I should be doing. But only Maxine knows. She carried that part to her grave or maybe her children now. So I'll just tell you what's in it. Like this, this is all I got. Cream, one cup of sugar, half cup oleo, beat two eggs, one teaspoon of vanilla, three cups flour, three teaspoons baking powder, one teaspoon of salt. Bake at 350. Like there was no (laughs) instructions. So I'm going to present to you the cookies. I made them into cutouts because although it didn't say that they should be made into cutouts, I just think that they should have been so i did i mean they're christmas cookies yes. they, they lend themselves to cut out um, so i have some that are iced because i just like i just think they needed icing it wasn't in her recipe but i'm pretty sure that she would have iced these suckers so then i have some with little to no icing so why don't you take one Ooh. all right i have a little red <sighs> gingerbread man he's super cute one. I don't know how to do it. A one. A, a two, two. A three. three. I feel like they're good. They're basic Christmas cookies. Now, I bet you she has a recipe for icing. That would have been great. I have store-bought icing. I tried to actually make some royal icing, and it was horrendous, guys. Like, so, so bad. It was so liquidy. It was so gross. It was it tasted like chemicals. I don't know what I did wrong. But I think this would probably be almost perfection if we had her icing recipe. Yeah, the icing is good. The store-bought icing is good. But the cookies are kind of dry, a little bland. I bet she has a bomb-ass frosting recipe that she's she's holding from us. And that's probably what makes these. I also think I might have fucked up with the recipe a little bit. So it said oleo. I could not find oleo. I guess they don't really... I don't know. And then I looked it up. Oleo is just a margarine. But I looked that up not in time, so I used shortening instead. So maybe that's where I messed up. Oleo might be the key. 
Well, the shapes are really good. You made a good shape here. Thank Better you. Better than I mine always really turn out. I really hard with my cutout shapes. All right, what's your rating? Um, and this is no fault of Maxine. This is my fault. So it's my rating for myself. Her cookies are probably a lot better when she was here to make them. I give it like a six. A six out of ten. That was actually what I was going to say. Because it's a good cookie. It's not exceptional. And there's only so much information you can give on a gravestone. And I think that's part of the problem. There's a lot of like little parts to it that I think you can't, you can't really, you can't get across on a gravestone. So... She probably has all these little tips and tricks that make them perfect. Maybe this is like in the old days when people didn't eat as sweet, you know, they didn't eat sweet things. She died in 1994. Never mind. (laughs) If you listen to our episode, our last episode of talking about the Marietta Mound Builders, We briefly mentioned the fact that we went to the Mortuary Museum at Colleen People's Funeral Home, which was... It was really cool, but it was a little bit creepy in the way that we had to meet Bill in the back of the funeral home parking lot at dusk. No, I'm sorry. It was not dusk at all. It It was was like like two two or three (laughs) o'clock. It felt like dusk. The museum doesn't have regular hours. It's a, a by appointment only. It's basically... Bill, he's one of the the funeral home directors. It's basically his own collection that he shows around. It's a really nice museum setup, but it's by appointment only. So that was... By appointment only. They were like, meet Bill in the back of the funeral home parking lot. He'll meet you there. And then it's right next to their like cremation and prep room for embalming. It's like right behind the museum. Which I noticed as we were going through. I mean, I kind of like the creep factor, but I was also feeling this would make a good episode of Dateline. (laughs) Before we left, I let John know where we were going to be just in case. Because it was such an odd thing to have a private appointment (laughs) at the funeral. (laughs) Yeah, just, just meet Bill out back by the crematorium. Yeah. Uh, but Bill was very nice and it was a really good experience. I didn't know what to expect and I was getting a little bit nervous when we were, we first went through the doors to the mortuary museum. There's a door that you come through and then another door you go through to get to the museum part and there's just like this little alcove that we're standing in. And he's like, sign my book. And I'm like, (laughs) book of souls. Uh... And I was feeling a little bit uncomfortable, and I'm thinking, this is it. (laughs) It's either we're going to die, or this is going to be a great experience. (laughs) And then he opens the door, and I'm like, what's behind the door? And then it was a museum, and I felt more comfortable. (laughs) I was just going with the flow. (laughs) I was, like, wrapped up in my own panic. I mean, once... Once we got there and got in the building, I was fine. I think I figured he wouldn't leave behind the evidence of us having us sign our names, right? And there were other people that had signed their names. So it would be a little, you know, it'd be a little suspicious to have a whole book of people that you murdered. I think I listened to too many crime (laughs) podcasts before we went. And I was just so wrapped up in everything. But once we were in there, it was great. When we first open the door to go into the main part of the museum, it is absolutely stunning. So you have all of these hearses. One was a horse-drawn carriage hearse, which is the first one you see. It's beautiful. It's bright. It's shiny. He has a fake horse, the same size of an actual horse, connected to this carriage. And the horse had a mask on it, which was kind of funny. And as you kept going... Looking around, there were all of these beautiful kind of soft, glowy museum lights everywhere. Had all these royal colors. I mean, for us, this was like a morbid dream come true. Oh, absolutely. It was just so beautiful, clean, shiny, classy, bright, and vivacious environment <laughs> that we had walked into. And we were very excited to get to explore the rest of it. And it was all in basically a glorified garage 
but it was amazing. I mean, it's crazy. You walk into this, what looks like a giant storage unit, and there's this beautiful professional looking museum inside. It was a lot bigger than I had imagined that it would be. And he was really thorough going through everything. But one of the first things you see is all of these amazingly restored hearses. Yeah, both horse-drawn and automobiles, which I've never seen a horse-drawn hearse in person. It was incredible. It felt like something that would carry Her Royal Highness away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly that. I'm surprised they didn't rent it. They showed up. It was unbelievable. They're both covered in totally in black lacquer with gold accents. There's all of this scrolling plaster. I don't know if you call it plaster work or whatever, but it's just really intricate and beautiful. Even the woodwork inside was marbled wood. The it rollers inside to put the... Gorgeous. And the attention to detail was amazing. And, and he was... Bill was very proud of these. Like, this is... You could tell this was very close close to his heart like his collection and he got very excited about it and it was really awesome to have somebody with so much knowledge be able to give us this tour and answer all our questions and like thoroughly talk about the history of these hearses and what it meant and how they were used at the time and all of that so Janelle why don't you tell us a little bit more about these mystical magical hearses <laughs> okay Bill bought his first collectible antique hearse in 1973, and he now has around eight. Two of them are the horse-drawn, horse-drawn horses, and the rest are automobiles. The automobiles he has are mainly three different brands, Studebaker, Henny, and Packer. I'm sure this means a lot more to car people than it does to us, because no clue. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I feel like I know more now than I did before going yeah. to the museum. I have never even seen a modern day hearse like up close. I just haven't. So just a lot of stuff I wouldn't think about getting a hearse in and out. I'm sure they use a lot of those mechanisms today as well. But it was really cool. And, you know, he was talking about how back in the day, hearses were also used as ambulances, which I didn't know that. He said when he was starting out in the business with his dad, they would often go to 911 calls to pick up somebody who needed to be transported to the hospital because they didn't have, like, small towns did not have ambulances. So they used hearses. And I guess if it didn't work out for you, you were in the right place at the right <laughs> time. So that's one way to think about it. And he explained, you know, they didn't really have anything, maybe just oxygen. It's not like ambulances today that have a lot of equipment and people who know what they're doing, like they have... Um, emergency staff. I don't know. I think sometimes they have nurses. I don't. I don't know. EMTs. EMTs. Paramedics. Thank you. <laughs> they have uh, medications. They have all sorts of stuff on board. It's a little mini you emergency never room. Know what you could be coming to. But yeah, if you cut off your leg by accident and this hearse comes to pick you up, they don't have anything but oxygen for you. The only purpose is transport. Yeah. So that was just kind of interesting because I didn't know that, and I was like, wow, we've come such a long way. Yeah, and even, it was so common that the hearses actually had, again, we're talking about functionality that I love so much, they would have special seats. So they'd have bucket seats that would either slide out or fold down so that they could be used, you know, if the bucket seats were engaged, they could sit back there with the patient. If the bucket seats were either folded down or taken out, they could put the casket in there. So they were actually built for the two-in-one purpose. So Bill's father also worked in the funeral industry and he actually used to go with his dad on calls to pick people up on ambulance calls which was like 70s yeah and he said early sure. i think he said late 70s early 80s they were still doing that and this is a more r rural area of ohio marietta so it probably was a lot more phased out in other areas but there's a lot more rural areas surrounding Marietta. So maybe that's why they did it so late. So one of these collectible hearses um, that he had touched on was the 1927 Henny. And that was used in a movie called Get Low. Get low, uh, get low, get, get low, low, get, get low, low from the window. To the wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that, that song was not in the movie. <laughs> 
But the 1927 Henny was used in the film Get Low. This was filmed in Georgia, and Bill went down there for six weeks during filming, which was really cool that he was invited to be there the entire time they filmed, even though they really just rented the car from him. Right. That feels very, very personal, and I think, you know, it meant, it clearly meant a lot to him, uh, and was would have been such an amazing experience. Right. And I think they might have wanted him there also for troubleshooting with the car. Yes. The hearse came equipped with a siren for when it was used as an ambulance, like we were just talking about. And the director of the movie Get Low actually asked Bill to disable the siren because the, one of the main characters in the movie play, was played by Bill Murray, and he was the funeral director in the movie. He would be driving this car all the time, and Bill Murray kept ruining scenes by turning it on for fun. Like, he did it a dozen plus times, and they were like, okay... Bill, you need to help us out. Bill Murray is starting to kind of fuck up this movie, and it's taking too much time and money out of us. It's already low budget, man, so we need to get rid of this siren. So I thought that that was kind of a funny um, little information about this movie movie that he did share with us. Classic Bill Murray anecdote, I feel like. (laughs) I know. It's so funny. And so we actually did watch this movie. There was a lot about it in the museum. Again, this was something Bill was like a pretty big part of. He was very proud of it. There was a lot of like memorabilia in the museum. And we had taken a picture of the poster because we wanted to make sure to watch it later. And we did. We watched it a couple of days ago. And at the end of this podcast, we're going to give our honest nitty-gritty review of this very interesting indie movie that we watched. One of our favorite parts of the whole museum was the morning jewelry. Like Morgan was saying, there was a bunch of... Oh, sorry, were you going to say something? I was just getting very excited. (laughs) There was a bunch of shadow boxes on the walls, and they were actually sent to him by someone who came and visited the museum. He was a professor, and actually got all of this ready for him. He had a whole collection of morning jewelry and was like, I'm done with this. So he sent sent him all this museum-ready displayed jewelry with descriptions on the back. So there were... How many pieces do you think there were? Um, I think that there were at least seven shadow boxes up there with all sorts of morning jewelry, and in particular, morning brooches. Yeah. Um, which I think we found to be the most interesting yes Um, I had never seen a morning brooch before visiting the museum so it's like a regular brooch that you might see ladies wearing but it has a picture of the loved one that has passed on the brooch which is just so cool I already love looking at vintage photos from back in the day and to know that they're holding their loved one close to them with that brooch is cool it's a little creepy as all the photos kind of are from back then, because photography was not, like, up to par, right? And, like, not many people smiled in photos, so it's just a little, like, they look a little glazed over and already dead. But that's the appeal to me. Like, that's the allure of (laughs) these brooches. And then also, some of them had the hairs of their loved one in, in there. Bill was explaining a lot of times they would just take a snip of the hair from the back of the head so you wouldn't be able to tell when they're lying in the casket and they would put them into these brooches. And jewelry as well. It was really interesting. I had seen the hair made into brooches before. Usually it's braided and it looks kind of beautiful inside the brooch. But they also had regular jewelry that was made out of people's hair. And I had never seen that before. And when he told me that was hair, I, like, almost fell down. I was like, that cannot possibly be hair. No way. It looks so cool. Yeah, they had hairpins, I think it was, that were shaped like flowers. Yeah, I don't know what they did. They had to have used some kind of substance on top of the hair to get it to hold that shape. But, I mean, fabulous. I think we were both. This just, this part of the museum is spoke to us yes he was saying that those buttons and pins that had deceased people's faces on them would be worn on the anniversary of their death or other important holidays so they'd keep them around and remember them on 
important days and they would be with them. I thought it was kind of funny because some of those reminded me of those giant buttons that sports parents wear, like of their kid when they go to a football game <laughs> and they have that giant button of their kid in a football uniform or a marching band uniform. It reminded me a lot of that because it was just this, some of them were really beautiful and ornate, but some of them were just like a picture in a circle. <laughs> and oh, the jewel. Wait, before we do that, I'm just going to get to the best part. He told us that you can find morning jewelry on eBay, basically. He kind of said that you could find anything on eBay that's morbid related. So we took that and ran with it. I actually got this on Etsy, but I ordered and received a brooch with a young lady's face, well, very young lady's face on it, piece of morning jewelry. And it is beautiful. It's stunning. And this was a more ornate one. It's very, I don't know. I think it's so pretty. I'm so excited. Let me see. Let me see. Ah! Oh my gosh. I love this. So yours is a gold brooch with this small, I think she looks very young, like a child. She looks like 10 or 11, I would say. Already a bit stoic. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yours has some beautiful, I don't know what this is, these little blue and white dots around the brooch, which is beautiful. This is just very cool. Have you worn it? I have not. I don't know if I want to wear it. I just feel a little weird considering that's a real person keeping her memory around that's true it's a good conversation piece i love it okay i tried to order myself one off of ebay and i've never ordered anything off of ebay and that got really confusing so i have to figure that out it's amazing to think that this person who died over 100 years ago is their memory still being kept alive in this piece of jewelry that i have right now and i don't even know this person but you should give her a name. I think she'd be, I mean, she has a name. We don't know the name, but I feel like she deserves to have a name. She looks like a Rebecca. A Rebecca. Doesn't she kind of look like a Rebecca? She looks like a Rebecca. I like it. We're going to call her Rebecca because she at least deserves to have a name, right? True. But that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'll wear it because I don't want her to be a fashion accessory. And I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's more of a conversation piece. She's an accessory, but also like, oh, hey, Janelle, what's that that you have on? You can be like, oh, hey, let me tell you. This is Rebecca, and she died, but this is her mourning piece, so I will keep her memory alive, even though her family's not here to do so. I wish I knew more about her. You could even, um, if you want to continue collecting them, which I hope that you do, you could put your own shadow box together. Oh, that's a great idea. And have it in a room or whatever. That's a great idea. Just thoughts. They also have, and you can find this on Etsy as well, black mourning jewelry. Widows back in the Victorian era would wear black for two years after their husbands died. And they would stay in the home and mourn and be sad. And black also in that era was starting to be known as a mourning color. They had a bunch of black jewelry also in the shadow boxes that were specifically for mourning, but some people would actually paint their regular jewelry with black paint to turn it into mourning jewelry. Mm-hmm. And didn't he even mention they would dye clothes because they were in mourning for so long, you can't just buy a whole nude wardrobe of black clothing. So I think a lot of people would end up dyeing their clothing black. That's right. But that is the first thing that we kind of talked about when we walked into the museum. We walked into that beautiful museum and right to the left of us was this whole entire wall full of all of this morning jewelry and we like beelined right over there. It was amazing. I hope you get yours in the mail. I know. I hope it works out. I know. If not, if it doesn't work out for this one, it'll work out for another one. Get low, get low, get low, get low, get low. Get a casket. Put me in the casket. I hate this. That was great. I think that's great. So caskets. 
They were a ton of caskets just kind of sprinkled around there in a bunch of different displays. He had a dozen and a half. Yeah, it was really cool. There were a bunch of different caskets, small ones, big ones, wood ones, metal ones, woven ones, caskets galore. Yeah, there were some really interesting caskets. I thought the woven ones were really cool. And I was thinking maybe they're biodegradable, yada, yada, yada. Because you see some of those woven caskets today if you're doing a green burial. So I did ask about that. He said these ones really aren't made today. Something similar, he said they would maybe be made out of, I believe he said um, bamboo. Yeah, I would actually look more into this too. And sometimes they do like willow and different things like that. The original ones were made for transportation primarily, so they would use them in the home. In the time when they did mostly home viewings and home funerals, they put them in the in the woven casket, or if they're transporting them from, say, a hospital to the home, or if they died on the battlefield. The woven caskets are a little bit different today for eco-burials because they have to be... Biodegradable. Yeah, yeah, because these yeah. would hold up and be reused. Some of the woven caskets were made specifically for children, and their display. It just breaks my heart and rip it into two. He had a ton of baby and child caskets. I love the way that a lot of them were made like a, like a basket that you would carry, like a very beautiful basket or like a cradle, which made the baby look a lot more natural. It was just so heart-wrenching to see these tiny, tiny caskets, these tiny, tiny babies. I mentioned earlier that these are reusable, these woven caskets and different display caskets. So they had some that you could, they had the liner in them, like that shiny, silky liner. They had pink for boys and pink for girls and blue for boys. And they could switch them out depending on the gender of the baby, which is also so sad. Just imagine like there's so many babies Yeah, but there was a lot of infant death back in the day. So this was as sad as it is just unfortunately a pretty common thing but i did like that because they could kind of switch that out they did reuse these display caskets yeah so reuse reduce recycle was I mean, you know um, i love that shit you know i love anything that back doesn't in the get day away. we did a lot better at it than we do yeah. today yeah there was also some really interesting caskets i've never seen before they had um two ice box <laughs> two ice box caskets which were super interesting. They, I believe, were... And he had one for an adult, and he also had one for a child. Fill them up with ice to keep the bodies cold. And then there was just, like, this little window, or, like, this circle around where your face would be in a casket so you could look in and see the person. Which is kind of creepy. Yeah, and the face was kind of deep in there because it was under where the ice would go. So you'd, like, see this sunken face. I believe there were two of them there. And he said that those were very rare. They were not common at all. He's only seen a couple of them in his his career. So, yeah, that was very interesting. It looks like something otherworldly, like maybe you would put an alien in for display. It was just so odd. Yeah, it was like almost twice the thickness of a normal casket or maybe like one and a half times. It was just, you had needed so much room for the ice. It was an alternative way to preserve a body before embalming was really popular. Cool. So the other really interesting thing was that these casket companies made shoes and dresses out of excess lining that they used for the caskets. And these would be made for families who couldn't afford clothes to bury their loved one in. The dresses they made kind of out of that silky material. Uh And the shoes, a lot of them were made almost out of that crushed velvet. So it was interesting how they used the materials in the way that made the most sense. Yeah, I think it was very resourceful to be able to Um, think to do that and then provide it for the families because especially during wartime the economy was shit right you know if you don't have any nice clothes or maybe you don't even have any clothes I don't know you could be a soldier without a family you need an outfit to be buried in I I just thought that that was a really kind thing that these funeral home or not funeral homes these casket companies decided to do with the excess material and to not waste waste not want not 
It's like in the Depression when they had those chicken feed bags that they put pretty print on so you could make your clothes out of them when you were done. Or was it flower bags? I don't remember. I learned that in American Girl, the Kit Kittredge series. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Maybe That's it was potatoes. Cool. It was some kind of... They're all made out of the same material. Yeah, it's all, all that like bags. burlap bullshit. The burlap bullshit. <laughs> One of the things that I really, really enjoyed was Bill had all of these home funeral setups throughout the museum. It would give you kind of an idea of what a home funeral would look like. His father actually was still doing home funerals in the first half of the 20th century and maybe even a little bit beyond that point. He had his dad's old, what they're called, jack-in-the-box screens or backdrops they would be these pop-up backdrops that you would, would come in like a little case like a little briefcase and they would pop up to like this huge huge size and they were made of crushed velvet which looks really pretty but also hides any wrinkles when it's all smushed back into the into the briefcase and so that would be your backdrop then they had these fold-up tables that you could use and fold up lounges mm-hmm. fold up lounges that you could put the body on. That's what you where you would put either just the body or you could put them on one of those woven caskets for display. And they were beautiful. I mean, this crust velvet was all of those royal colors, like the deep blue, the purple, the gold, the red. The um, really pretty, the one he had was like a really pretty mauve color. It was so Yeah, they pretty. were beautiful. I mean, I would say that the space um, in some cases is probably set up a lot nicer than at a funeral home today yeah and the comfort of having it in your own home in the parlor in the parlor they had redneck lights that's what they're called he's like i'm not sure they'd be able to be called that today (laughs) sounds a little mean um but the top half was a regular light bulb the bottom half was red so it's the redneck and it cast this like ambient ambient ambiance it cast yeah. an ambient glow around the room, so it kind of set the mood. It wasn't a harsh light, and it covers up. It doesn't cover up, but it it hides some of those imperfections in the, a dead body. It makes them look a little bit more lifelike because it's not shining such a harsh light on them. Yeah, it's giving them that red glow of life. Yes. You know. Yes. And, and they still use those kind of lights today in mm-hmm. funeral homes often, and I kind of always wondered why and now i know it's to make them look a little bit more pleasant and less dead which at the end of the day is a little ridiculous because they are dead right why are we trying to make them look super alive great point i mean you know i don't know like for me i just feel like as long as you're not rotting on this table as long as it doesn't smell like Literal death. Okay. <sighs> Ew. <laughs> Are you smelling literal death? Yeah. <laughs> um, Bill also had displays showing what the prep work would look like in the home. Because not only did they have funerals in the home, they also had you prepped in the home. So he had this corner where he had all of the to-go prep work for embalming, um, a table for this, and so on and so forth that would be brought to the home that's easy to kind of fold up and take with you. So this is a whole ordeal, just to get a body ready, get them prepared, and then taken back to be buried. It, this is not like a a suitcase kind of job. This is a whole whole van kind of job yeah so it was a lot of equipment but they would do it in the home most times if they were already going to be doing the funeral the wake in the home they're probably doing everything else another thing that he showed us that janelle had mentioned was the netting and the fans oh yes they had this really pretty mosquito netting essentially is what they used but it was very fine and delicate and they would make it in these pretty colors like those royal colors or just some light pinks and greens but basically since they had to open all the doors 
keep fans, keep air moving so the body wouldn't start stinking when it was really hot, all these bugs would come in and try to feast. Yes, feast. So they'd have to put those over the bodies and they tried to make it look really pretty and natural, but it's a little, it actually was really pretty. It it did fit very well with, with everything else. But Morgan, I, th- I've been thinking about this ever since we went because you said, what do they do with the blood when they're embalming in the house? And I, I was too afraid to ask this question there because Bill seems like so professional and because of course he was very professional and very knowledgeable and I just didn't want to ask a stupid question in front of Bill. I wanted to act like I, I knew what I was talking about, even though I wasn't the one talking. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like. I, I should have asked the question, but I was too embarrassed to ask the question. Yeah, and it's it's been haunting me. Bill had the device that his father used to embalm people. It's basically a big glass jar and then a IV tubing that you'd use. It's almost like a blood pressure cuff that you'd use. So you'd pump all the embalming fluid into the body. But you got to take the blood out. And normally, Morgan, you were saying... It's caught in a drain in the floor in a normal funeral yeah, home, right? Yeah, pretty, pretty much from my understanding is that it drains down through the table that you're on when you're being embalmed. There's like a drainage system in the table and then that's kind of siphoned down to your regular sewage system. Just like in a garage or in a basement, usually you have like a little area if there's any water that'll go down into your drainage system. It, I believe it's just the same thing. Yeah, so what do you do in a home with their nice carpet and their hardwood? Do you carry it in buckets and take <laughs> it back? Do you just slosh it onto the street? Do you dump it down their sink? This is a great question, and I have not been able to stop thinking about it. Janelle, do you remember when we saw that sexy lady at the museum? How could I forget? Oh. Do you want to tell us about her? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Bill had these old fans that had funeral home advertisements printed on them. And they were all really serene funeral scenes, you know? And they'd pass them out at churches, and they'd fan themselves when they were hot and be like, this would be a great place to be buried. Or, if I'm dying from a heat stroke right now, send me here. (laughs) I don't know. Exactly. I think that was the thought. The one of them, though, he turns it over, and on the back there's this, like, beautiful woman on the back like a burlesque lady like scantily clad yeah she showed like both shoulders and she had red lips and big boobies i just the other side was like some nice pasture scene with jesus or something and then you just see this sexy woman and they were using that at church (laughs) what was the advertising here i don't know if you come here, you'll be a, you'll get a sexy woman in the afterlife. Like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. That probably won over a lot of men. Let's be honest. It works. Sex sells, they say. Sex sells. So let's get into this movie, the Get Low movie that both Bill and Bill were involved in. So Get Low was made in 2009. It stars uh, Bill Murray, obviously, Robert Duvall, and Sissy Spacek. It's actually based on the true story of Felix Bush Brizale. Brazil. Brazil, I think it is. Brazier? Brazil. Brizale. Brazil. Felix. Felix. Felix B. Felix B. Felix B. Bush, Brazil. An elderly bachelor who decided to throw his own funeral party so he could be a part of it in june of 1938 around 12,000 people gathered at his church cave creek church outside of kingston tennessee for his funeral felix came riding in on the front seat of a hearse with his own handmade coffin that he made himself in the back reverend charles e jackson gave a flattering eulogy while felix sat right in front of his coffin he hired an octet so that's like a quartet times two to sing hymns. And he had um, a lot of large funeral wreaths. Guests started arriving Friday night for the Sunday afternoon service. And they waited out there like 
24 hours. Oh my gosh. It's reported in one source that 10 people fainted during the events. What? <laughs> Why? It was, I don't know. It was June. It was hot. Huh? There was just a lot of, there was death going on. You needed no those death. sexy fans. Bingo. That's why they have the sexy fans. People want to use them. That's why they have the them. sexy fans. He lived five more years after his funeral, and he said he didn't want another funeral when he passed. That was the one. So, okay, that's really interesting, because I didn't realize that this was based on a true story, and I think that's so badass. Go, Felix. I, I know. love that. I love that this is kind of, in a way, based on a true event. They took a lot of liberties, as you, as you know. A lot yeah. of liberties. That's not really how it went. But tell me your thoughts on the movie. Oh, boy. Um, this movie was just not like anything else I have ever watched. The beginning was quite slow. I was a hard, having a hard time with it. But although in the beginning, I have written down one of the first things that you see is a trespassing sign. And it says, no damn trespassing, beware of mules. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm hooked. What is this? I never once saw an ass. There were no mules. There was a mule. Was there a mule? Yeah, it was his friend that was in the yard. And he, like, was falling over and the mule was looking at him and he said, don't laugh at me. Oh, yeah. I guess I missed that part. Matthew was, my husband was really into the mule, so. <laughs> Uh, the, the movie itself was, I thought it was pretty good. I wasn't sure if I was going to like it because it did start off kind of slow. I liked the concept of the movie. I thought that it gave me a little bit of like deliverance vibes, but not in the way that you would think. The twangy music, the weird shots that they took. Like I thought it was just very interesting the way that they shot this movie yeah, it seems like they were trying to be, like, very artistic and character-centered. So it's a lot of people doing mundane work, a lot of conversation. So it kind of drags a little bit. A lot of close-ups. A lot of close-ups, yeah. A lot of close-ups where you don't get the full scene and it's just the face. Yes. And then somebody else's face. Like, yes. when they're having a conversation, you don't see both of them at once. It's, like, back and forth, one and the other. It's just the way they filmed it was really different. Almost a little old Hollywood. Yeah. Like, yeah. the beginning of the movies type, we don't know how to shoot things yet vibe. I love the part when he brings up the idea of having a funeral to the preacher. And he goes, he just walks in, he's like... I've been thinking, about time for me to get low. I was like, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I like the bit about the preacher. I think this is a very quotable movie. It's a very quotable movie. I actually really liked Felix. And I felt very bad for him in the end. I did too, without trying to spoil anything. I, I, he was a very, he was a complicated character. He was a complicated character. In the movie, without spoiling anything, they kind of make it seem like there's a lot of secrecy behind Felix's life and he wants to get the story straight and people have a lot of stories about him and, you know, rumors. So that there's a lot more of a darker undertone in this movie as compared to what it seems to be like in real life where it was more of a celebration, more of a spectacle yeah the undertone of this movie was dark and it had to do with like an entangled romance of course you have to bring that in uh and death was just a thread throughout the movie not just because he was having a funeral for himself it was funny because multiple people were kind of drawn into this throwing the funeral between like bill murray's character who was the funeral director. There were a couple of preachers involved and everyone was kind of going back and forth on, should we do the funeral party? Is this moral? Is this good? And my husband was watching it and I wrote down what he said. <laughs> he was like, if someone wants to pay you a bunch of money just to listen to a bunch of people talk about him, it's not a big fucking deal. Just throw him a goddamn funeral party and take his money. <laughs> 
so true though because part of this movie I don't think it gives too much away is the funeral home was having financial issues so yeah. this was going to help them big time he had this big old wad of money he kept carrying around and offering him oh my gosh okay well this is just a note I made which is stupid but I'm going to say it anyway you can cut it out if you don't like it <laughs> I said um, I'm just going to read you all my notes and you can take out what you want okay okay yeah around halfway through Charlie and Felix have some have some breathing war going on. Kind of old man ASMR. They're all like, <sighs> wait. To be clear, what? Who are the characters? <laughs> so uh, that was Charlie, old man Charlie, who was the preacher, and Felix, who was also an old man. And they were like spitting and hollering and huffing and breathing and making all these mouth sounds. And I was like, back and forth. It was when they were in the when Felix goes to visit Charlie in the church that Felix built, and they're just all... <sighs> old man Like, they're making so many old man noises. I'm like, this cannot be. Like, So I said, they're having like some kind of like back and forth breathing. Old man got food stuck in my mouth from 1925 <laughs> type deal. I just, it bothered me so much that I had to make a note about it. Uh, but I think that was kind of the point of this movie to make you quite uncomfortable in a lot of spots and like to have it feel like very raw and gritty and that felt like somebody needs to floss right now. And then my last note before I did stop taking notes was, is Felix a magic carpenter? Why did you think Felix was a magic carpenter? Because he did all this like amazing carpentry work and I was like, is he just like a magic carpenter? Like he didn't seem to have a real job. He just like lived out. In the wilderness, alone. True. I don't know where he made his money. I think he made that church for free for somebody. Yeah, I think he did. And he had, like, all these... Me- I'm like, is Felix Jesus? Is this the comparison? Because Jesus was a carpenter. Okay, okay. Didn't turn out that way, but... No, it did not. Um, Jesus would not be like Felix, but... No. Those were my notes. I like him. I like the breathing part. I was excited to see how much the the henny was filled the i was excited to see how much bill's uh henny was featured in the movie there's so much screen time of that car they're driving in the car dri- cars driving past pulled up to the house it got a lot of screen time so it makes sense why he was down there for six weeks also very curious wait this movie <laughs> this movie was filmed one again 2009 2009 so that would have been our sophomore year of high school i wonder how much he got paid for this i'm just very curious how much because i don't know how much people get paid where you rent cars for movies or like houses or any number of props like what does that look like is that a substantial amount of money matthew said it probably would be first of all because of how long they used it and how much screen time it got But also, he pointed out that this is putting a lot of wear and tear on the car, especially if they had to drive it down there or however they got it down there. And on all those back roads, those bumpy roads, that they have to probably pay him as well for the mileage and the um, damage on the vehicle. Does that thing even have a mileage tracker? No, it doesn't matter, (laughs) though. It's still mileage. I mean, it might have a mileage tracker. I don't know. Odometer. Yeah. I hope he got paid pretty well for that. Can you say that again? I sniffed. I hope he got paid pretty well for that. So what do you give it? What is your Rotten Tomatoes score? This movie is not for everybody. No. I also feel like it's a movie that you could watch again and get something else out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. I give it... I give it a 7. 7 out of 10? Yeah, I give it a 7 out of 10. Did you hate it? No, I loved it. I actually. was like ready for you. I'm going I higher. give it a 2. I think I want to go 8.5 out of 10. 8.5. Maybe even a 9. I loved this movie. The beginning is slow, but I was kind of into it. I just really loved the idea of the funeral party and having all of this background secrecy and all everybody's different stories kind of coming together i i feel like you could show this in a class like a philosophy class 
Yes. Yeah. I like could see this movie being shown to to high school students for like multiple reasons. Like to analyze yeah. or write about it for ethical or moral philosophical reasons like I, I don't know it just felt like one of those movies that I would be forced to watch in high school yeah it does it's not that it's definitely not for everyone like you said but I really liked it how do you feel about the idea of a funeral party I love it I love it I was disappointed that um in the movie they didn't actually have anybody talk about Felix they talked about having people come up and talk about Felix but they never did yeah, there wasn't like a eulogy was that somebody gave. I to hear some of that. But I, I love this. I loved it. I want to do it. There's a quote from, I'm going to pull this up, from the pastor that actually did the real Felix's funeral. And I really loved it. Let me find it. He said, if a lot of those roughnecks out there had to face the music before they pass out, it would improve their way of living. This may mark the day of a new era in funerals. And I wish it would have. I wish that that was something that was more common now. Kind of having to face your own mortality. And people being able to say things about you. And, and you hear it instead of people always saying stuff after you're dead. I agree. Would you do this? I think it's a great idea. I think the biggest problem is nobody knows when you're going to die, but... If you get an inkling, I don't If you know. get an inkling that my life inkling. might be over soon. Yeah. Have a funeral when you can enjoy it. You're going to spend all this money anyway. I agree. Although, if you have life insurance, there'll be more money to spend when you're gone. Unfortunate for you. You won't be able True. to... You won't be able to reap the benefits of that one. True. Damn it. I like it, though. I think it's a great idea, and I would love to be invited to a living funeral. Yeah. So, Janelle. I think I would get in the casket, though. Oh, yeah. So I could recline and people could I, talk about yeah, me and Yeah, I talk would to want me. people to still come up to me and, like, touch me and, like, kiss my cheeks and shit. But I'm, like, still in there, like, alive. And I'd be like, pucker up. Yeah, just closing my eyes, like. And I want to stare at people when they talk about me. But, like, I don't want to stand. From the casket? So, like, just, like, Yeah, just side fly. eye. <laughs> So if anybody's listening and they are thinking of doing a living funeral, please, 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 please invite us. Please invite us. Please. We want to go. Before we're done, I'm going to showcase my Christmas gravestone recipe. I picked Kay's Fudge. It's on the gravestone of Kay Andrews in Logan City Cemetery in Utah. So this one didn't turn out so good. I figured what a better Christmas treat than fudge. Well, I've never made fudge before. <laughs> and I feel like this recipe, a gravestone fudge recipe is not for people who have never made fudge before. Let me say that. I just feel like I need to describe the color of yeah. this. It is not. Hmm. <laughs> it is like the color it is chocolate it's brown it's like the color of hot chocolate when you mix it up like with milk it's like a no light- it, i think that's too dark you're it being too like generous you did say it's not that chocolatey because you let your dog lick some off the ground yeah it's so not chocolatey that i allowed my dog to lick it off the ground this is also the same dog that ate a whole three quarters of a bag of semi-sweet chocolate chips and had to go to the hospital so this is just the bar you know i feel like it's gonna be good though i don't know so here's again very simplistic recipe two squares of chocolate first thing i already have a problem i go to the store to get baker's chocolate do i get semi-sweet do i get non-sweetened chocolate i don't know so i started out i got semi-sweet which i think (laughs) was already a mistake two tablespoons of butter melt on low heat stir in one cup of milk bring to boil okay we're good three cups of sugar one tablespoon of vanilla a pinch of a pinch of salt 
and then cook to softball stage. What? I don't fucking know what softball stage is, so I Googled it. And it gives me like a temperature range. I don't, I do not have a candy thermometer, nor will I get a candy thermometer. Do you have a meat one? I do, but I was a little afraid to use the meat thermometer, the germ-wise. So there's an alternate way you can do it, which is putting some of the cooked fudge as it's cooking into cold, cold water. And supposedly you're supposed to be able to form it into a ball and then you take it out. It's supposed to kind of go a little flat. So I tried that (laughs) and at one point it worked. So I took it off and then it said to pour on a marble slab. Guess what? I actually do have a marble slab. Shockingly, I got one from our, as a wedding gift. I poured it on the marble slab. And then last line, cool and beat and eat. So I said, cool and beat and eat. Yeah. So I Googled, okay, I guess I got to beat fudge. (laughs) But I'm reading about beating fudge. Everything I read said you should do it in the same bowl that you baked, that you cooked it in. Like no one said to take it out in between. Why did Kay tell me to take it out in between and put it on a marble slab? So I had to like get it all back from the marble slab, scoop it into another bowl and then mix it up. And this is really thick fudge, so it's so hard to mix. And I'm stirring, and I'm like, this is never going to... My arm is killing me. I'm like, it's... it suddenly got really crumbly, and I started to panic. So I just smushed it all together, put it in a Tupperware container, and hit it. Have you tried it yet? No. I tried a little bit when it was all crumble, so... This is, sounds like a very complex fudge recipe. It is. This is... I don't know if Kay was like trying to trick me by telling me to put it on the stupid slab or if it if she's like everybody knows to beat it first. Like only an idiot would put it on the con- the slab first. I like feel bad. I didn't realize yours was going to be so complicated. I didn't either. I was the one who picked it. This is very interesting. It's not chocolate. <laughs> what, I just don't know what it tastes like. It's not like bad, but it's not I taste way more vanilla than chocolate. It almost has a smoky underlayer to it. Probably me burning it. I will say the fudge texture is not bad. The fudge texture is good. The flavor is not chocolate. It's not bad. I just don't know what the flavor is. It tastes like crumbles you might get on top of. Like, ooh, toffee. It tastes like toffee. That's what it is. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Good job. It tastes like toffee. Did you accidentally make toffee? If I baked it longer, I think it maybe would have been toffee. I mean, that's what it tastes like. I give it an eight. I was, I'd give it a four. It's not what you would expect, but it's also not bad. I am really proud of the texture. The texture reminds me of my grandma's fudge. Her fudge is really good. Mm, you should bring some of this to your grandma. I don't, I don't. I think that you should bring this to your grandma, tell her it's toffee fudge, and you want her to try it, and just see what she says. My grandma's going to say it's nice, even if it tastes like ass. It does not taste like ass. It tastes like toffee. I mean, I'm probably going to eat the rest of it, but... I mean, it's good. It just doesn't taste like chocolate. No. I don't know how that happened, but it's great. Yeah, I'm going to give it an eight. Four. We've both had real problems with these. So here's the deal with these grave recipes. They don't tell you how to. They just give you the ingredients. No, I want one of those like blogs where it tells you about, you know, their childhood trauma when their goat died. And then you have to scroll through 16 paragraphs of that and then get to the recipe. That's the kind of recipe I want. They basically tell you the same recipe twice in two different ways. Who's the guy from the Great British Bake Off? Paul Hollywood? Would Paul Hollywood be proud of us? Absolutely not. You can rent or buy or maybe. Hmm. You could probably also illegally download this. Yeah, you probably could. We because both John said he could have probably done that, but he wasn't around when I did this. So. We were both good girls. We rented it on Amazon. You can rent it on Voodoo. Not my dog, but the streaming platform. You can also buy it on Amazon. So this is our last episode for this season. Season two starts in January. 
Thanks for listening. End of January. We'll have some stuff ended here. Yeah, end of January. We're going to take a little... We'll break to record, get our thoughts together, pull ourselves together. Maybe we'll add a burp reel to this one. I don't know. Season's over. Burps. But anyone who's listened, thank you. It has been a rough start, (laughs) but... We've had fun. We've had fun. Uh, Season two is going to be even better. But please, if you have any suggestions, any qualms, any things you want to hear, any things you don't want to hear, any things you... Constructive or non-constructive criticisms. No, constructive only. Constructive only. We did get. Don't kind be of, mean. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm a little sensitive. Please let us know. You can DM us on Instagram. <coughs> anyway, yeah. Let us know if you. <coughs> we'll see you next season if I don't die. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at official underscore plot twist pod. Music is courtesy of Matthew Modena and our resources are in the show notes.